Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shear. This week, like every other week, this shear is dedicated to these Islamists. Shalom. Um, I'm going to give a shout out for Fuhr Shalema for a young lady in Canada, Montreal, studying in a dormitory, studying in St. Agath, actually. Um, had a little, she had a medical issue. I was sent her Fuhr Shalema Kreva. Tonight, it's Hey Tavis. Hey Tavis. What more can we say? It's Hey Tavis. Um, the Shabbos Pash Vayigash. And Yet Hashem next Tuesday is a Sarabatavis. So we have what to say. We have what to talk about. Hey Tavis. Khsidim tend to say good yomtif. When they tried not to say Tachanun on Hey Tavis. The Rebbe turned around and asked for the reason. Perhaps there was a Chosn in the Shul, perhaps there was a uh, Fabris. What, on what basis, what Simcha? taking place that they were not saying Tachnon see them were a little flustered Dida Notzach Hey Tavis such a tremendous yamtiv. so we don't say Tachnon The Rebbe was not very keen on it. So that was not a reason, apparently, enough for the Rebbe, for the Chassidim, for people not to say Tachanun. Ironically, the Terebbe Mincha, the mean I was davening in, The Chazan also chose not to say Tachman. After the repetition, after Chazan Sashat, he just said Kaddish. And um, everybody looked at each other. What was that all about? And um, the Rav was standing there. After Davin, he called over the Chazan. Said, please, if you don't see a chosen here tomorrow, we have to say tachnun. <laughs> it's interesting. An expression that was once used, and I can't tell you from where it quotes. If it's from Mashpiim, from Rabbanim. The Fia Hergish based on your sentiments. If you sentimentally feel this is an auspicious day, this is a holiday. Yomtiv, and thereby 
you feel like any other yamtif, you don't want to see tachanun? No. Ashrecha. Ashrecha. This is what you believe. No problem. This is what your hergish tells you. Sometimes though, we can't impose our hergish on other people. Ulai, perhaps you have that hergish. Perhaps you have that feeling, that sentiment. That doesn't mean that's the way to go. That doesn't mean that you can impose that on other people. And actually you can't. Therefore, especially in halacha, in cases like this, is a live and let live policy. And one needs to live their own life. Hello. Yes? She's not home. Yes, but in the middle of a year. You call back after 10? Thank you. Especially when it comes to halacha. Halachic issues. We can't inflict our hergish on other people. Certain stringencies that a person has, that a person undertakes, you cannot tell other people they have to live that lifestyle. If you have a stringency not eating certain shadim. You have a stringency of getting us up at a certain time in the morning to daven. Or any given stringency that you may have. That is actually a stringency which is, yes, Baruch Hashem, a very good thing to have. It's your lifnim mishuras hadin. It's your way of treating mitzvahs with an extra oomph to it, Ashrecha, wonderful for you. But such things you may cannot impose on others. You cannot tell other people how to behave in that fashion. When it comes to an actual halachic issue, if it's an actual halacha in Shochanarach, it's an actual law, that this is how one needs to behave, one needs to do, then yes, you can tell somebody that we don't do that on Shabbos, we don't do that on Yom Tif, we don't do it, we don't eat such foods, we don't, whatever it might be. Um, I think I spoke about it recently, but I, don't listen, I haven't listened to the Shirim in the last few weeks a very melancholy situation today's day and age, of many halachas that have gone to foot, that people, as the Torah says, ekiv tishmu'un, ekiv meaning, ekiv having a translation also of an ankle, Rashi translated just as that, mitzvah shadash ba'akevav, mitzvahs that one steps on with their ankles, what does that mean? How does that, where does that come from? What kind of mitzvah does one step on with their ankle? There's halachas that are called hilchas niske haguf. Halachas laws pertaining to how one needs to eat, drink, sleep, etc. 
and it just literally physically affects the human body. It can damage, not just affect, it can damage one's body. And therefore one needs to be careful. Um, not leaving, not drinking water that was uncovered overnight. Not leaving an onion without a head overnight. Um, not leaving an egg without any shells on it overnight. Unless, of course, there were certain provisions taken care of, both by the egg and the onion. These halachas are found in the same from the part of Shulchan Aruch known as Hilchas Nizke Haguf, which tells us that if God forbid one does not heed these things, it's a uh, it's dangerous. Dangerous. It's not the uh, Surgeon General says that it's dangerous to smoke cigarettes. <laughs> They're coming up now for the longest, not the longest time, for the last years, people have started eating organic. And this is quote-unquote the healthy way to go. Unfortunately, recently, recent studies have found out that the organic lifestyle, eating of organics, is actually detrimental to the uh, ecology, detrimental to this, to that. I didn't read up on the studies. This is I overheard in the uh, quote-unquote mikveh news. The few minutes that I that I was actually in the mikveh, um, I'm usually in and out before anybody takes their shoes off. But uh, the few minutes that I was there, this conversation was going on, and someone said an interesting line that um, the vegetables, the vegetables, my mother always was shoving vegetables down my throat, and look, my mother was actually looking to kill me. Because look how detrimental this all is at the end of the day. A good piece of chicken, a good piece of meat was so much, so much better for us. Um, again, the studies will go back and the studies will go forth and they'll go back on the on the uh, global warmings and they'll go back on the, whatever they can, political agendas can sell. When it comes to halacha, it's not something to be taken lightly, not something to be played with. And therefore, when an onion is left overnight without a head, and a person approaches and says, did you ever uh, hear about the myth of an onion not being overnight or without a head? And I have to explain to the person that it's not a myth at all, and it's actually found in Shulchan Aruch, and I have to explain to him where and what, it was bittersweet. The bittersweet part behind it was that, first of all, that people feel that these very, very important halachas are so... are myths, God forbid. On the other hand, I was happy that the boy remembers that his grandmother used to say something about this, and therefore, or his, maybe his wife remembered that her grandmother used to say something about it, and therefore they're asking the question. So thank God that they still have the faith of asking the questions, asking the shaylas, and as long as they have that, and as long as they go according to the das terah, the terah opinion, God will never let them steer wrong, and God will always protect over them and their children. Um... Protecting them and their children. There was a chassid, a modchel efler, apparently a chassid, the mitle rebbe, the second lebavitch rebbe. In the olden days, the rebbe was looked at in a different light by chassidim. What does that mean? The Chassid himself was on a much more spiritual plane. Hence, he saw the spirituality of the Rebbe, 
hence they would not frivolous, frivolously trouble the Rebbe with trivial questions. Trivial questions, in some cases, could have been a health issue, could have been a uh, monetary issue, myriad of things. But you spoke to the Rebbe, you spoke to the Rebbe about spirituality. Ruchnius. You didn't bother the Rebbe, disturb the Rebbe, physical, gosh, mystical things. Therefore, when this chassid son, got very, very ill, he went the natural route. Doctors, another doctor, third doctor. Unfortunately, the doctors were not coming through for him, as we say. The child was getting deathly ill, And he got to a point where literally the doctors told him there is no hope. It's a matter of very short time the child would have to live. At that point in time, he could no longer travel to the Rebbe, he couldn't leave the child alone. He also could not send the child himself, obviously, to the Rebbe. So the only other option was, of course, the male. Talking a couple of hundred years ago, you could well understand the uh, mail service back in Russia, in Moscow, Petersburg, to Lubavitch, didn't have much of a chance. It was a Tachlis, you had to write a letter to the Rebbe. So he wrote his letter to the Rebbe, and he sent it via mail. He reckoned five days to get to the Rebbe, the Rebbe answer, five days to get back, ten, maximum eleven days, he should have an answer from the Rebbe. And he wrote about the whole matzah of his child, situation the child is going through. Um, after ten days, He's standing by his window and he's waiting breathlessly by the window for the postman to come by. And lo and behold, rushing at top speed is the postman. And he says, No, Mr. Briefträger, you have a letter for me. I can't stop now, I'm very fayoked, I'm very in a rush, I can't stop to talk now. I don't know, I can't, I, not today, tomorrow. It can't be, and he went out and he started chasing the, the letter carrier. He starts chasing the letter carrier, and he figures there's only one way, only one language these guys understand. He says, uh, listen, I'll give you a half a ruble. Let me look, let me check. Please tell me. Be honest, be honest with me. And the postmaster says to him, I'll, tell, I'll be honest with you, you do have a letter somewhere in my bag. I don't have time to look for it now. The Puritz, the Tsar, whatever he was, one of the princes was very sick, very ill, and none of the doctors locally could heal the child. So they brought a doctor from Vienna, somewhere that that sort, and I was asked by the royal decree or whatever they are to secure a wagon for the doctor to go home, and I've got to get to the wagon. As the guy, the brief tag is telling him the story. He's looking, he's rummaging through the bag. He rummages through the bag and he finds a letter. It's addressed to him, 
It's from Lubavitch. It's from the Rebbe. And he have, with one ear, was listening to this brief today, a story about this doctor, Meisling, Yishefton. Leave me alone. I have a letter from the Rebbe. Thank you very much. Gig isn't it? He opens the letter to which the Rebbe writes that the child will have a foolish name. Yeah. Yeah. Try to turn the door up. Oh boy. And the Rebbe says, Your child will be healed. It's close to happen very soon. It will happen from far and from close. From far and from near. And that's where child's the foolish name will come. And so he was actually a little bit befuddled. What could the Rebbe mean by this? And he thinks through. And then it occurs to him. He reminds himself about this doctor, this local this doctor from Vienna. That's from far away. That's from far away. And he runs, and, he, and oh, the Rebbe also writes, and spare no expenses. Jalavanished. Well, the Chassid was very excited, and the thought of this doctor from far away is definitely what the Rebbe must be referring to, far and near that he's right here. So he runs, and he finds the briefträger, the, the mail carrier, and he asks him, he says, uh, What's the story with the doctor with the wagon with the mices? He says, oh, I got him a wagon and horses. Thank you very much. I got him the horses and the wagon. It's by the palace. No. It's chosid. Takes to the feet, starts to run. And he gets to the palace. And he sees the wagon, the horses. But he also sees something else, <laughs> which is even more disappointing, heart disheartening. He's not the only one looking for this doctor. And there's people clamoring and begging. They want to see the doctor. They want to talk to the doctor. They have a sick, this one, a sick relative, somebody. How am I going to get to this doctor? But he has to be aggressive. He has no choice. He was a well-known man, this Chassid. He pushes his way through. He gets into the courtyard. And he approaches face-to-face the doctor. And he says, I need you to come and to heal my son. The doctor says, listen here, mister. I have orders. My orders for my king, for my serve, as a personal physician, was to come here to Petersburg as a favor to a friend of his, a king, who has an issue with a prince. Once that mission is over, which it is, I need to return home. Which is what I'm doing. I cannot deviate neither right or left my orders. At this point, the Chassid remembers what the Rebbe wrote in the letter, spare no expense. He puts his hands in his pocket and he takes out, no more, no less, a thousand rubles. 
In those days, thousand ruble was probably equivalent to eight to hundred thousand dollars. He says, Doctor, a thousand rubles yours. Come see my son. <laughs> a thousand rubles? <laughs> he didn't say that. I'm sure my king would allow me to deviate a little bit. Such an amount of money. So, they sneak out a different way, not to go through the crowd. A few minutes later, doctor finds himself standing over the sick child. And said, Mid, I've got to tell you, your doctors were right. This child, one of the son, is deathly ill. Apparently, he had some kind of infection in his teeth. It traveled into his body, into his blood, and is directly connected, now has attacked his bones. Wow. This child is Rahman al dying. However, however, I happen to have a medication for this. I believe I have it here, because if I don't have it here, you're in trouble. Till I get back home, to get it back here, the child will not live that long. I may have it here. And he sends his assistant back to his hotel. Bring his medicine chest that he had brought. And lo and behold, he had the cream with him. And he put the cream on the child. And he made an incision on the side of the body. And the body started to reject, to drain out all the pus and all the not good elements inside him and literally within hours the child already opened his eyes and he said listen I gotta leave I'll talk to a friend of mine a doctor locally here I'll tell him how to follow up with this as long as he follows the instructions within a week the child is back to back to normal so the chassid saw how the bare no expenses saved his life but how even more so did the Rebbe said, from far and from near. And literally, the Rebbe's Ruch HaKedesh was so, so clear. This previous one? Hmm? The previous one, someone? No, this is the second Chabad Rebbe. The question we have today is, what is Haytavis to us? The Fidik Rebbe's library at least the Svarim that we have here, contains many, many, many different old volumes and uh, antiques, Kisveyad, handwritten, <coughs> things that were written by people that never got printed even, by Rabbeim that were not printed yet. And the library is connected to 770. What happened was, I don't think it's relevant to the story who it was. Okay, it was. Friedrich Rebbe had three daughters. The previous Rebbe had three daughters. One married the Rebbe. One married Rabbi Yankel Horenstein of and one married Rashag, Rabbi Shmayor Gerari. Shmayor Gerari had one son, Beryl. Shashena and Rabbi Yankel Horenstein were killed by the Nazis. Barry, unfortunately, did not act or live the life of the previous Rebbe's grandson. You could not see on him that he was a tzetzer, a direct descendant, a grandchild from the Fidik Rebbe. Unfortunately. 
But he was aware of this library of his grandfather's and was aware, aware of the value, almost aware of the value of the Svarim in the library and decided to take advantage. He said, I'm an heir to my grandfather as well. There's no reason that the other son-in-law should take everything. Referring to the Rebbe. And therefore, made several nocturnal visits, picked up some choice books, Svarim, and started selling them. Now the truth to be told, nobody really admitted, I don't think, how they discovered missing books. I don't think the library was that well cataloged at the time. And obviously nobody went through the books on a daily basis to see what's here and what's not. But when books started coming up on the market and it became known that this book was just sold and this book was just sold it started to raise up flags the librarians started to look into it and librarians found out that these books were indeed missing from the library rare one of a kind Svarim At that point, they put in the camera system, security system, whatever it was, and they caught this man walking out with books, boxes of books, boxes of svarim. And so this whole situation went to court. I don't think they ever had press charges against him to have him arrested, Chassam But they definitely took him to court to get back the Svarim, to sue him for the Svarim back. Now, people that bought the Svarim heard where the Svarim came from. And the Rebbe announced by a Fabrengen, Ibez Tammuz, that the people don't understand what they're holding in their hands they're holding bombs, live bombs. And the Rebbe said, I highly recommend that the book, the Svarim are returned to the rightful owners. Which was the library. Now, <laughs> a lot of people came forth and sold the Svarim back. They said, we paid for it so, so much money, at least let us get our money back. Some obviously decided they had to make money on it. Nagur had no problem with that either. However, there were still many Svarim missing. Many still in the possession of uh, the fellow that took them. This went to court case. In the courts, there were times that were perilous. Times that there were threats that the Rebbe would have to come testify Rahman al-Sal in court. Have to come take the stand. At the very least, the Rebbe, the Rebbe's wife, they tried to subpoena to court. And the judges, the lawyers, Baruch Hashem, were able to get a testimony, a video testimony from the Rebbe that sufficed I believe is a written documentation from the Rebbe. The Rebbetson said something very, very interesting, which is something that we live by and that we continue to, live, to exist with. The Svarim belong to the Hasidim, the Shul belongs to the Hasidim. The Rebbe belongs to the Hasidim. And therefore, as a good Hasidic Chabad, this was 
This was a uh, tremendous testimony, and a testimony which ultimately provided the actual judgment, which was Svarim needed to be returned to 770. Where is this? Legion Siegel. On Hay Tavis, Jari the Svarim returned to 770. We never told the story of the Zayar. Tells us about the evil spirit that was in the town and they had to drive the evil spirit out of the town and the whole procedure the length of not going to go into the story so we can get back to the parish a little bit we still have to talk to ourselves out of the Tavis and and Kachave Oh, so they went to the. So the, the Rav said to, the, 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 to, to bring everybody to the, the end of the town, to the water, to the lake, and they had to take sticks, and they took sticks, and they cried out, our victory, and finally they saw a spot of blood in the middle of the water, which signified that the spirit had been gone. This was the same story here that Rebbe said about Didan Natsach. The victory is ours, and therefore this is the victory of the Chassidim. And this is the Yom Tif, and the Rebbe said that each person should seek to buy a Sefer. Since there's a Mifzah of Bayes Malis each person should buy a Sefer on this date. A Sefer of Chassidus, or even if it's not a Sefer of Chassidus, any other Sefer. Any given safer for the house, and this safer should be of course studied and learned, and this is a safer dedicated to be purchased on a day which is directly collect- connected to Svarim. Yasef and Binyamin. Yasef and Yaakov. Yosef was very attached to his father. Studied with his father every day. It's a tremendous attachment. And yet, and yet, when he meets his father, Yasef falls and cries on his father's shoulders, but his father does not. Farshim tells us that Yaakov Avinu at the time was saying Shema and took all the love and the emotion that he was having by seeing Yasef after all these years and transmitted it into the Shema prayer to the love of God. Yasef clarifies his father is indeed alive and he tells his brothers, Maru, hurry up, Valu and go up, El Ovi, to my father, Umahartem Vehidatem, and quickly come back down, bring down as Ovi, my father, Hena. Now, he's talking to his brothers, referring to Yaakov who we refer to in today's day and age as Yaakov Avinu, our father, why Avi? Why does he say it in singular, my father, rather than saying our father in plural? Yasef used the plural 
when he tells them, hurry up all of you, go up all of you, quickly come back down all of you, and bring back down all of you. What was this lotion of hurry up? Maru, mehartem. Why was it the rush? After all, it wasn't exactly as if he was taking him on a vacation to Florida. He wasn't exactly offering him a, a trip to Israel even. He was bringing him down to Erevasaurus, to the lowest place in the world. What's the rush? 22 years, Yaakov did not see Yosef. The Cheshman of 22 years is a simple one. Not simple. A painful one. But an easy calculation. 22 years, Yaakov was not by his father Yitzchak. And therefore, thereby not completing the mitzvah of Kibbut Aveim. So therefore now, he was deprived of his son Yosef for 22 years as well. No. Yosef said, the decree was 22 years. 22 years are over. 22 years are over. Hurry up and bring him. His punishment is over. Don't make this another moment of, don't make it derate another moment. Don't refrain even for the blink of an eye. This is therefore Yesus saying, Ovi my father, not Avinu our father. He's hinting to them that the entire reason for making him to hurrying up is so that he can complete the mitzvah of Kibbidav. You people have been doing it all these years. I have not been able to do this. Bring Father here quickly so I can be Mekayim, my mitzvah of Kibbidav. And therefore the whole trip was over Avi, my father. Something that I did not have for 22 years. For a punishment that he was given. We also learn the concept of discipline. Sometimes there's a concept needed of Yemim Mekareves or Smeldeche. Smeldeche You might, if you're keeping track at home, Seta 47, side 1, Memzayin Amralov. But when there's a smeldecha, a person needs to be very, very careful. When you're pushing away with the left hand, you need to be very, very careful at what distance you put the person and to make sure there's always the yamin mikarevis. As soon as the discipline has been meted out properly, to give a yamin mikarevis. And this is therefore the very issue here that took place with Yaakov Avinu. That his discipline has been disciplined already. It's time for the Amin Mekarevis to take place. Yaakov, though, is told by Hashem Yisbarach, says Rashi, in the dream, the Pazak says in the dream, Altir Merda Mitzrayma, chapter 46, verse 3. Memvav, Perik Memvav, Altira Merda Mitzrayma. Rashi explains, Vishayim Meitzar al Shinizkak, Lotzis, the Chutzlaretz. He was hesitant on leaving Ertzisel. 
hesitant. He was a little bit tight-chested over it. We, don't, we find HaKadosh Baruch therefore told him Al-Tira, Al-Tidstair, etc. Let's look back and we'll find out that this is not Yaakov's first time he left that to show. From one side, person that's in Eretz Yisrael has to feel they have to leave Eretz Yisrael, they have to feel Bonim Shigolom El Shulchan Avim. Again, keeping score at home, it's Gemara Brach is right in the beginning. Dav Gimel on the bottom. And you have to feel the pain that you have to leave Eretz Yisrael. I know my wife goes through that every time she leaves Eretz Yisrael. She literally is pained, although she has to come home to her family <coughs> here. But it pains her to leave the Kedush of Yisrael. More than just leaving her mother. But on the other hand, a person can't feel this Yira and Pachad. From Menias and Kuvim of Avedis Hashem Yisbarach. From the different restraints that we have from the way we serve God in Chutzlaretz, in the exile. Because this is what the Almighty gave us. And if the Almighty gave it to us, He also gives us all the strength that we need to overcome it. And just the opposite. Because they were Meitzar on the Golos, therefore He has to come to Altira. Because he was pained by the exile, he's told not to fear. As long as the person is yearning to return to Israel, this yearning lifts him above the exile. And therefore he has no benias But as someone just mentioned here now at this point in time when he left last time he was going on the commandment of his father, his mother go, go to my family in Padnarom he had to leave it with actual instruction this journey nobody was telling him to go Yosef beckoned him Pare beckoned him. But he was not being told by the Abish, he was not given a commandment, he was not told by his father or by his mother to go. Hence he was worried. Since it was a slightly selfish journey, perhaps it was dangerous, perhaps he was not supposed to go. And therefore he was full of fear and trepidation. And that's why the Almighty needed to reassure him. Yosef and Binyamin, that emotional, emotional meeting, they fall on each other's shoulders and cried. Why on their neck and not on their heads? Why they fall on each other's necks and cry? Main part of the person is the head. The neck is the connection between the head and the body. Because yes, the main source of life is in the mind, in the brain. What connects the two is the neck. The windpipe, food pipe, veins, etc., Everything is in the neck and the throat. So therefore, the neck actually has a plus over the head. Even though the head is the most important thing, but still in all, it was not connected to the body, it's worthless. And how does it get connected? Through the neck. When a person serves God the same way, 
The head refers to the highest level of a person. The neshama, the soul. The neck refers to the Avedis Adam and the Tachlis to take the life from the head, and which is the neshama, and bring it into the body, into the world. Yosef, therefore, and Binyamin cried on the, on the neck of each other. Because first of all, the head and the neshama of each and every Jew has no reason to cry. Because the neshama of a yid, even when the person is sinning, Rahman al son, is still with the Abishta. Dalterev brings down a Tanya, Perich of Dalad. And the Maimar Razal, the Razal tells us, if you keep your score at home, it's like the Sanhedrin, Mem Dalad Amar Aleph, 44 side 1. Yisrael, Afapi Shechot Yisrael, who even if a person sins, he's considered a Yid. You don't become Ois Yid from doing a sin. And Yisrael, the word Yisrael, is the letters Li, Roish. So that's the first concept. And secondly, the Tachlis of the person is not in his head. The Aveda of the Neshama itself is not the main main point. But the Savari, the neck, to cause and to connect with the rest of the body of the world. And to enlighten the light of the Neshama. And therefore the neck has a greater mila than the head. But what were they crying about? They were crying about each other's churm. They weren't crying about their own. Binyamu was crying about the churm that will take place on Yosef's land. And Yosef was crying the one that took place on Yaakov's, on Binyamin's land. Why did they cry for their own? Because the truth is that a person has to fix their own chudim. A person can't allow destruction to wreak havoc in his own in his own backyard. A person needs to look after his own situation. And therefore, if a person like one of the Islam had an issue, had a problem, was getting a punishment, a person needs to do tshuva for it. Mashain came. When I see somebody else suffering Rahman al-Islam, what can I say? What can I do to prevent it? I can't do tshuva for him. Tshuva is his own. And therefore, it's so much more painful. And this is the very case between Yosef and Binyamin. Yosef crying and mourning over Binyamin's destruction and the same Binyamin crying and mourning over Yosef's. Because there's nothing they were able to do to help or save their sibling from the destruction. The Acheno Asfardim have accustomed the Shabbos. They call out, Acheno Beis Yisrael Shimu. Our brethren Beis Yisrael here. Tzayim Asiri Yeh Yem Plaini. The Fast of the tenth will be on Tuesday. Yem Shlishi. Yafei Chayse Hakadosh Baruch Hu LeSotzen LeSimcha. The Almighty should turn it over to happiness and joy. Kedushim, like it says, Kayam Arashem Tzavakes. Like the Almighty said, Tzayim Haravi V'Tzayim Machamishi V'Tzayim Ashvi V'Tzayim Asiri. She first, of course, Tzim Gedalia. Yer the Beis Yehuda LeSotzen LeSimcha. Will be for the Beis Yehuda for Sosin Simchal Meyadim Tevim VeEmes VeHashalim Oyavei. That is what they call out before the Shabbos before they announce the upcoming fast. The Ashkenazim don't. The Yerushalayim Yerakevish was sieged. On On this point was the beginning of the entire destruction. Therefore, this day is a very, very horrible day, the day of Tainus.
Some want to go as far as saying that this is more severe than any other one because it can come out on Shabbos. If it would come out on Shabbos, we would fast. When Tishbev comes out on Shabbos, we don't fast. But as Sarabatavis would be on Shabbos, we would fast. It can't come out on Shabbos. It can? No, it cannot. It comes out on Friday, but not around Shabbos. The reason for the comparison, the comparison is to Yom Kippur. The Yom Kippur it says Bet and the Navi talks about Sarabatavis also refers to Bet Therefore, since Bet here and there, it compares it to Yom Kippur, although the fast is only a daytime fast, not like Yom Kippur, which is 24 hours, 26 hours. The idea of the fast is not mourning. We are not mourning for the destruction. The idea of a fast is to awaken people with tshuva. And so much more so in Asara Batevis. Um, Sarabatevus, if it comes out on a Friday, we do fast. There's a whole slew of halachas referring to that. Um, This year it's not on Friday, it's not on Shabbos, we don't have any of these problems. The fast starts from the morning, from sunrise, it goes till the, till at night. Um, Alisa Shacha, actually not from Netzachama. The fast, one may not brush their teeth in the morning, one may not drink or eat, you may wear shoes, one may take showers. Shouldn't listen to music. Um, the fast goes until Shkia, until half hour after Shkia. And the main thing is these days should be turned over to happiness and to joy. We should not need to fast. Many people tend to come up with these questions always about fasting. Um, they want to say that Sarabatavis is more stringent than any other fasts. And therefore, although that we try Sometimes we try to find hetanim for fast. The Sarabatevis is not one of those that we should find ahead to four. Um, again, if there's any issues or anything of the sort, you need to, of course, call a local rabbi who will discuss and give the backs, the pros, and the cons. Hopefully, we'll hear the local rabbi will be Mashiach Tzadkenu. It will be this Shabbos in the Vayiga Shed of Yehuda, which is the last letters of Ayigash, Elav Yehuda, Ashin, Vav, Hey, Shove, and he says to him, Yehuda says to him, Yichamecha Kefaroi, just like when you go with Farai, you're in the second wagon, Pari's in the first wagon, so too with me, when it will come to the Gula, when it come to the redemption of the Eden, Mashiach ben Yosef will go behind Mashiach ben Yehuda, let us be zeichen to see this caravan traveling this very Shabbos into Yerushalayim Yerakadosh Shabbat Shalom to all